few days ago on Facebook, one of my friends liked a, a chart that they had seen about a, a particular sin, receiving a lot of news, and they liked it, so I kind of looked at it, and I said, hmm, that's interesting. So I went, and I made a comment also. Now, this wasn't a comment that she had made, but she went on things that kind of everybody posts, and uh, so it, rather than having three or four likes or comments, you know, it's one of those that had a thousand comments. So I made a comment in, as to what the Bible says about this sin. Well, I looked later in the day to see what else had been said, and someone that I don't know who or where they're from, they came back and wrote a whole long thing, and they wrote about the Old Testament, what it had to say about homosexuality and sacrifices, and how we don't have animal sacrifices, and just went on and on and on, and I started to reply, but it was obvious that this person had no understanding of the Bible. They knew some Bible verses, and they looked up some stuff and quoted it, but they had no idea what they were talking about, and I said, it, it would just, I don't know where to start. And so we see, if you talk to anyone at work, or you see comments on Facebook, or you listen to preachers on TV, you can see real quickly that a lot of people don't understand the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they don't understand how they fit together. They don't know if we're under the Old Testament, or if it applies, or some things apply and some things don't, or some things are brought over. So there's a big misunderstanding the Old Testament and the New Testament. So this morning we want to look at a, at a, a section of the Old Testament and see what we can learn from it. In Romans 15 and verse 4, Paul explained to the Romans, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning. And so we can, even though we are not under the Old Testament, we're not having animal sacrifices on an altar this morning, and we're not here on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, there's still a lot that we can learn from the Old Testament. And that's why one of the reasons that God gave us the Old Testament is so that we can learn from it. So this morning, we'd like to look at a few things. If you were here last week, Rusty Springer talked. And he talked about the Old Testament from Adam and Eve up through when uh, the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were slaves. And God had the ten plagues and he led them out of Egypt and they, they went to the Red Sea. And so Rusty covered that much. And we're going to take up the story from there. <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, it says, In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidim, uh, had come to the desert of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. In verse 18 it says, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, because the Lord descended on it. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So there you've got maybe three million Jews that are camped in this wilderness. They've journeyed for a few months, and they've come to this mountain. And it's not just any mountain, but this mountain has got smoke over it. And they hear the sound of trumpets and darkness and earthquakes. And these people are afraid. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul talks about the fact that people said, don't let God talk to us anymore. Now if you remember... Up until this point, like I talked about Rusty, you talked about from uh, Adam and Eve up to Moses, this is what we call the patriarchal dispensation. Patriarch means father. Have any of you ever saw old brother Huerta? Uh, George Clooney called himself the paterfamilias. He was the father of the family, paterfamilias. That's what the word patriarch means. It means father. And remember, God talked to the fathers of the family. He talked to Adam, 
He talked to Noah. He said, build an ark. He talked to uh, Israel and Abraham and Isaac and, and made them the promises. He didn't go through priests or preachers or, or prophets. He talked directly to them. So the first part of the Bible was called the patriarchal dispensation. But now we get to the part where Moses goes up into the mountain and now God talks to Moses. And the people are so afraid, they say, we don't want to talk to God. You talk to God for us. And so God talks to Moses and gives him what we call the Old Testament. A testament is an agreement. A lot of us have wills. When I die, I want my tools to go to Michael. I want one of my guitars to go to Danielle. Uh, Michael will probably get my guns since he likes guns. There are certain things that will go to Laura. Of course, if Angie is still alive, she gets everything. But after Angie and I are gone. And so a testament is just what you want done. It's like your will. So this is God's testament. Now we call it the Old Testament because we've got, we've got the old and the new. Back then it was the only testament. And so when you read the Bible, it's often called the law. It was the only law they'd ever had. So God gives Moses the Old Testament. And in Exodus chapter 20, Moses goes up into the mountain and God starts giving him this law. And in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, God spoke all these words saying, in these next uh, 17 verses are what we call the Ten Commandments. God gave Moses to give to the people ten specific commandments. Now, as we, we'll go through them real quickly. As we read them, if you'll notice, the first four deal with God's relationship, or uh, man's relationship with God. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. That is the first one. He says, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And this is the second commandment. In verse 5, uh, Six or seven, he says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God says, I am your God, I am your creator. I do not want you to use my name when you hit your thumb with a hammer. I am much more important than that, and I want to be treated as such. I will not hold you guiltless when you use my name in vain. The eighth one is the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I talked about people not understanding the Old Testament and New Testament. Is the Sabbath a Saturday or Sunday? Some people, Christians, or people that call themselves Christians, talk about worshiping on the Sabbath. Is today the Sabbath? Well, let's read. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. To hallow something means to set it aside and make it special. Some of you may have your grandmother's china 
or maybe your great-grandfather's shotgun or something, and you've got it displayed across the mantel. It's not the one that the kids... Well, you wouldn't let your kids play with guns anyway. But the, the, the china, it's not what you use every day. It's not what you serve peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on. You've got it set in a special place because this is special china. God said the seventh day was to be hallowed. It's supposed to be a special day, and there was not supposed to be any work done in it by anyone. And so this, these are the first uh, laws that are between us and God. The next six deal with uh, our relationship with each other. And we're familiar with all these. Uh, verse 13, you shall not murder. 14, you shall not commit adultery. 15, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You know, if we'll follow these, life will be a lot easier. Most of us aren't worried about getting murdered. We're not worried about getting lied to by each other. And we can just come here and relax and just feel pretty safe when we stick to these rules. There's one I left out. Let's back up to number 12. Honor your father and your mother. Now this verse here is not for the benefit of the fathers and mothers. It's not so that we will get respect from our children. This is the benefit of us that are children. God says, honor your father and your mother. Why? That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. In other words, God is saying, listen to good advice so that everything will go well with you. Don't play in the street, you might get hurt. We understand that, don't we? Don't do drugs, you might get hurt. Well, that's something maybe we have a little trouble with. Don't drink, you'll get in trouble. Don't go out and get drunk, you'll get in trouble. But see, when we start breaking these laws, then we start having trouble. We start getting arrested, thrown in jail, uh, bad car wrecks, divorces, financial problems. The reason our parents tell us to don't play in the street, don't get involved with drugs, don't run with the wrong crowd, is so things will go good for us. And so these are ten commandments. What we refer to as the Ten Commandments. If you take your Bibles and you can flip on through uh, Exodus and Leviticus, you'll see that God gave them lots and lots of other laws. I didn't bother to look it up. I think I've heard that there were something like four, close to 500 other laws. And these laws dealt with uh, worship, of course, sacrifices. It dealt with sin, the different sins, and then the punishment for the sins. It dealt with... Uh, the sacrifices that you gave for your sin. It dealt with sacrifices for just various reasons. If you remember when Jesus was born, uh, the seventh day, I can't remember, uh, Moses and Mary made a, an offering or sacrifice for their son Jesus. It was just required of, of all the Jews. Um, there were laws concerning the tabernacle. We have a church building, although the building itself is not important. They had what they called the tabernacle. And I would really like to get into a lot of detail on this because it's real interesting, but just go through it real quick. This tabernacle was actually a tent. Because you remember these people were traveling out in the wilderness. They didn't have jobs and cars and houses and stuff. And there was a tent that they could set up. And uh, it was pretty good size. And the tent was divided into two parts. The first part, if you came in like back there, was called the holy place. And there was a, a table, and there was candlesticks. You've seen the Jewish candlesticks with, with seven candles on it. The Jews still use. There was a candlesticks. Uh, there was a table with the showbread. 
outside there was a the altar. I can't remember everything's in it. But then in the middle was a veil. be like right here. Remember when Jesus died, the Bible says the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Insinuating that God had torn the, the veil and not man. A man would have torn it from the bottom up. And then you get into what's called the most holy place. And there was the Ark of the Covenant. Remember an ark is, is a box. But Noah and the Ark... Uh, Noah probably didn't build a ship like we picture it, but he built more of a box. The Ark of the Covenant was a pretty good size. It was made out of acacia wood. had rings on it. I believe it was overlaid in gold. And the part on the top had two cherubims on each side, which faced each other, and they looked down at the, uh, the Ark. And the top of this Ark, or the lid, was called the Mercy Seat. And... Uh, the, uh, the, the priests went in once a year. The Levites went in the, once a year to offer sacrifice. And all this was symbolic of the church that was going to be established. And uh, God gave very, very specific directions about how He wanted each. He wanted the ark made, the mercy seat, the, the, the tent itself, and all the coverings, the rings, the poles. The ark itself had rings on the four corners, and the priest had these poles that they were supposed to slide through. And no one was supposed to touch it. When they got ready to move this, take down this tabernacle and move, the priest had to carry it on their shoulders. This, uh, no one was supposed to touch this, this Ark of the Tabernacle. I might mention real quick where we get the names for the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, of course, just means beginning. If you ever read any uh, scientific literature, maybe some type of scholarly literature, they might mention the genesis of life, the beginning of life. They're trying to find out where life started. Genesis simply means beginning. Exodus, the second book in the Bible, means to leave. Years ago, back around the time of World War II, there was a mass exodus from the country into the cities where people got city jobs. Now you see an exodus out of the cities in the country. Exodus just means people are leaving. And in the book of Exodus, you'll find where the Jews left Egypt, and they pass through the Red Sea. Of course, it covers other things. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Under the old law, the Levites, there were 12 tribes of Israel, because Israel had 12 sons, and there were 12 tribes, and God chose the Levite tribe to be the priests, or what, you know, now what we would call the preachers. If we were, if we were all Jews, then only the Levites could be doing what I'm doing. But the Levites... Uh, were the ones that ministered to God. They were in charge of all this. And so the third book is called uh, book Le- uh, Leviticus. In Numbers, you read the uh, first chapter of Numbers, God wanted a census taken. He wanted all the people counted. That's, where, that's pretty simple. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. Uh, we'll get into this, but the Jews wandered in the wilderness 40 years, and then they got to the Jordan the river that separated them from the promised land, and they were about to go in. And Moses went over the, uh, the, the, I guess, the entire old law one more time, reminding the people to obey it. In Exodus 20 that we just read, you find the Ten Commandments, but you also find them repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It was the second time that Moses gave the law, hence the title Deuteronomy. And so, um, oh, back to the laws. Um, there were laws concerning the breastplates that the, that the uh, Levites wore, the 
the sacrifices, the altar, the different types of sacrifices. There were a, a feasts that they had, all these different feasts. There were not only the Sabbath was the seventh day, but every seventh year there was a Sabbath year, I believe. Um, there were laws concerning the clothes you wore. You, you couldn't wear a shirt like this. It's probably made of cotton and polyester. Uh, the Jewish men couldn't shave the corners of their beard, and that's why Jewish men look different, because they don't shave their beard. They don't cut the corners of their beard. You couldn't cut the corners of your field. You're supposed to leave that for the poor people. So it would be something that they could go out and get some ears of corn or some wheat or cantaloupe and have something to eat. There were just tons and tons and tons and tons of laws and then punishments for breaking these laws. So if you notice, uh, the New Testament is much simpler than that. And if you, if you open your book, you can see how the Old Testament is really thick. Of course, part of its history. And the New Testament is really, really very simple. Uh, the Ten Commandments I talked about that uh, concern the first four with our relationship with God and the next six were our relationship with each other. A man came to Jesus and he, he asked Jesus, says, Master, what is the greatest commandment of everything we need to do? What is the one that is most important? And Jesus answered him and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. With everything you've got, you need to love God. And the second is likened to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. All of these rules, 400 and something, the Ten Commandments, all these things here can be summed up. Love God and love your neighbor. You see how the New Testament is much, much simpler. And you find out that uh, later, the Old Testament is called the yoke of bondage. It was really hard to keep. There were so many rules and it was so strict and so many punishments that demanded death. Uh, how many of us have ever disrespected our parents? Did you know that under the Old Testament you could be stoned for that? <laughs> there would be a lot of us, of us that weren't here under the old law. So the new law is a lot simpler. It's uh, just a lot better. So, <clears throat> so uh, let's go on. The Jews were there at the mountain for almost two years. And then they traveled. And then they came to this land that God had promised them. Do you remember when they were slaves, God said, and even before this, He told Abraham, said, I'm going to give you a land that's going to be yours forever. And I'm going to make out of your descendants a great nation. And so He had told the, the Jews that He was going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. That would be maybe the equivalent of us saying, man, if I ever win the lottery, if I ever win the lottery, I can do everything I ever dreamed of, have everything I ever wanted. That's Kind of what this was similar. I, I don't mean to degrade something like the, the promised land, but this was everything the Jews could ever hope for. Just the best place, almost like heaven, the promised land. And so God was leading the people to the promised land. And then they got there, and God told Moses, said, what I want you to do is I want you to get one man from each of the 12 tribes, and I want you to send them in to spy out this land because God was going to send these people in to destroy the sinful nations that were in the land. God said, I'm not giving you this land because you are a good people. I'm giving you this land because they are very wicked. And so God sent in these 12 spies to just look it over and know what they were getting into and know what to expect. And they were in there 40 days. And they came back out. 
And the twelve spies told all the people, said it's exactly like God said, it is truly a land flowing with milk and honey. They even brought a cluster of grapes out that was so big. Have you ever seen pictures of men that have shot a tiger or something? They've got a pole on their shoulders and that tiger is just hanging there. These guys brought out a cluster of grapes. Not like you buy at Walmart. Children had a cluster of grapes that was so big that they had to put it on a pole and carry it with two men. That's how fertile the land was. They came out and said, it's exactly like God said. It's truly a land flowing with milk and honey. But ten of the spies were pessimists. They said, the problem is, there are giants in that land. There is no way we can take over this land. They said, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. We cannot take this land over. There were two men, Joshua and Caleb, and they, they said, well, that's true, but let us go in and take this land that God has promised us. God is with us. But just like you see now, you get in the United States, you've got optimists and pessimists, and people tend to follow the pessimists. And they said, oh, this is terrible. It would have been better if we were back in Egypt. Let's, let's just go back to Egypt. And God got very, very, very angry with these people. And he says, because you're rejecting me, because you're not gonna, you don't believe me and you don't trust me, not a one of you is going to get to go into this promised land. Anyone from the age of 20 years older and up is going to die and never see the promised land. And so they wandered in the promised land for 40 years. God likes the number 40, doesn't he? 40 days of rain, 40 days the spies were in there. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. The only people that got to go in were Joshua and Caleb, the two that trusted God and believed Him. And then all the little ones, the people that would have been 19 years old and younger, the ones that had not sinned. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, we won't get into it. You can go through this. got some really interesting stories in there. This is where the, uh, they got the manna. They were hungry. And they said, we, we're going to perish out here. And so God, every morning there would be manna, and they would just go collect it every morning except the Sabbath. And then they got tired of that, and they complained again, and God sent them quails. They didn't have to go out and hunt. They just came down into the camp, and the people got the quails and defeathered them and cooked them. Um, Moses' sister, Aaron and Moses were brothers, and their sister, Miriam, she and Aaron kind of got upset that Moses was so popular with God, and they rebelled against him, and God struck Miriam, the sister, with leprosy, which was a terrible, terrible disease, just where your skin just rots off of you, your fingers will eventually fall off. And that story's in there. And there are lots of interesting stories. And so they wondered for 40 years. Paul says in the book of Hebrews, I believe it is, that during this 40 years, their sandals didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out. Can you imagine being wearing some of the same clothes you were wearing 40 years ago? So there are lots of interesting stories in the, during their journey. <clears throat> Oh, one other story I meant to mention is during this time, the people got thirsty, I think several times. And one time, Moses was just fed up with all this complaining and belly aching and whining like little kids. And he said, here you rebels, must we fetch you water? And he struck the rock and water came out of the rock and, and they had all the water they needed. But the problem was Moses, I, I suppose, in his anger, didn't give the glory to God. And he said, must we fetch you water? And God told him, says, because you did not sanctify me. Remember, sanctify is like hallow. You set, set him aside make him special. Because you did not make me special in the eyes of the people, you will not enter the promised land either. You'll see it with your eyes. And sure enough, in Deuteronomy, God takes him up on the mountain and he can look and he can see the promised land. 
But he's going to die and not go in. So these are some of the stories you, you find uh, in these books that we've talked about. So they get to the promised land, and they need a new leader since Moses is going to die. Someone to lead them in. And God chooses, chooses, chooses Joshua to lead them in. Remember of the twelve spies, he was one of the two that believed God. And so God chose Joshua to lead the people in. And that's where you get the, I think, the sixth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. And what do you find in Joshua? Well, that's for the next lesson. But this is a, that's the story of Joshua. Now going back, or forward, to Romans 15 and verse 4, Paul said, whatever things were written before for our learning. So what can we learn from these stories? Well, obviously, I don't have a breastplate on with, with gemstones in it, and we're not having animal sacrifices, and today's not the Sabbath, and we don't have a Levitical priesthood. So why is this in here? What can we learn from this? In 1 Corinthians 10, um, in the first few verses, Paul talks about the Jews coming out of Egypt and passing through the Red Sea. In verse 5, Paul says, But with most of them... God was not well pleased. We talked about Miriam. We talked about the rebels or the ten that didn't believe God and how they were cursed and wandered in the wilderness. With most of them, God was not well pleased. And Paul explains, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And then he goes on and he mentions some things. He mentions idolatry. He mentions sexual immorality. He mentions testing Christ. One of the things he comments on... Verse 10 is murmuring, just complaining. Do we ever complain about the government and the weather and the elders of the church and the speaker and the speed limit? This is a sin in God's eyes, just constantly complaining. Verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. What does he mean, the ends of the world? Well, remember we had the patriarchal dispensation. Then we had the Mosaical Dispensation we're talking about. And now we've got the Christian Dispensation. And after this, there's nothing else. If we reject Christ, if we're not happy with what we have now, there remains no more sacrifices. This is it. And so these things that happen to these people are examples for us that we should not commit the same sins. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, you got a Bible, let's read this. Let's look at this real quick. I'm right there already. Um, Deuteronomy 11 and verse 26. God tells the people, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. Can you imagine God saying, I'm giving you, my chosen people, a curse? That's what He said. I'm setting before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. God said, I set before you a blessing and a curse. The New Testament says something similar in Romans chapter 11 and verse 22. It says, therefore consider the goodness of and the severity of God. 
on those who fail severity, but towards you goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise you also will be cut off. Some preachers like to preach fire and brimstone, hell and damnation. And others like to preach the love of God. I've seen comments on Facebook and on TV and I've heard people say, if there's a God, why would He allow such suffering? I just can't believe that, that God would send someone to hell for eternity. The God I know is a loving God. Well, that's true. God is a loving God. But numerous places, God warns, says, behold the goodness and the severity of God. He says, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. Later in Deuteronomy, he says, I set before you life and death. But the choice is ours, what we decide to do. He says, choose life that you may live. So let's look for a minute at the goodness and the severity of God. Let's go to uh, Leviticus chapter 10. We talked about all the laws that were under the Old Testament. And there were many laws concerning the worship. And one of the laws was that the Levites were supposed to, they had uh, censers, which were a, a pan. I can't remember if they were gold or brass. I didn't check that out. <clears throat> and they were supposed to put incense on this and light this incense. And then the smoke would go up and, or this incense smoke would go up and surround the mercy seat. But God gave them very specific directions about how to do that. You'll find several places in here where He's giving commandments. He said, see that you make it according to the pattern that I showed you in the mountain. And so in Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. God, when He gave them these directions, He says, don't use a strange fire. In other words, one, a different one. You do it the way I showed you. So here these men were priests. They were nephews of Moses. They were sons of Aaron. They were priests before God. But they offered profane fire. So fire went down out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Can you imagine right now a lightning bolt coming through this ceiling and me just dropping dead in front of you. How terrifying would that be? That's what happened to these men. Why did God do that? You say, man, people say, oh, if the God I know is love. He would never send anyone to hell. He's too kind for that. Well, apparently not. God had given these men directions. He said, I want you to do it exactly like I told you. And for whatever reason, they chose not to. Sometimes when we do something wrong, we get pulled over for speeding. Well, I'm late for church. As if being late justifies us in breaking the law. There's very, very, very seldom when we can break the law and get by with it with a good excuse. The law was put there for us to, to, to obey. And God put His law here for us to obey. And these men, maybe they were lazy. Maybe they thought, well, this is quicker. We'll just use our thick lighter and light it this way. We've got a campfire here. Let's just do it this way. I don't know what the reason was. The Bible doesn't say, but it does say they disobeyed God and they died right then and there. What about... Um, let's go to Numbers, chapter 15. The stick picker-upper. The first time I ever heard this story... I, what? 
Remember we talked about the Sabbath. What were they supposed to do on the Sabbath? Nothing. Not anybody supposed to do anything. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 32. Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. When I first read that, I thought about walking out in the yard and seeing a stick that the dogs drug up, picking it up and throwing it outside the yard. Now, of course, with the drought, I hole, I just stick it down in the crack and it'll be gone forever. There's a guy picking up sticks. Now, it's not like me uh, picking up sticks because these guys were camping. They lived in tents. They were traveling. And the Bible doesn't specify why he was picking up sticks, but he could have been gathering firewood for his wife to cook. It may have been cold that time of year. He may have needed warmth. Uh, he may have been cleaning up around the camp. Maybe he was a carpenter. Maybe he was going to, we think a little sticks, you know, maybe these were logs or something. Maybe he was going to build a, a tripod or a, a table or a chair out of it. I don't know. The Bible doesn't specify, but it does say on the Sabbath day he was picking up sticks. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregations brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. Can you imagine us taking Mike McCorkle? Because, uh, I don't want to specify. (laughs) Because he sinned, he did something that we know, maybe said a cuss word. And we took Mike, and we went out here, and we moved all these cars out in the street, and we got rocks, and we set Mike in the center, and we sat there and threw these rocks at him until he was dead. I can't imagine losing Mike, but I also can't imagine me having to do it. Man, God was awful severe. That's right. That's the lesson that God wants us to learn from these stories. All these things were written for our admonition that we should not sin the way that they sinned. What about all these people that were out there for three years and then they went to the promised land and they went in and spied it and the ten spies said, we can't do this. And the people listened and God cursed. I don't know, 80% of them, everyone from 20 years old and older, cursed them all, said, you'll not enter into the promised land. What a, a mean cruel God to do that to the people. But if you stop and think about it, the choice was theirs. God said, I set before you a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you'll do what I say. A curse if you want. And God didn't make any of them do what they did. They had the choice between life and death, and they chose death. God can be a very mean God, but it's when we break the rules. Now, I can remember my dad saying, if you want something to cry about, I'll give you something to cry about. My dad was a very loving father. But like the rest of us, he had his limits. And there were certain things that he would allow and certain things he would not allow. And he would give us something to cry about. And our fathers the same way. Behold the goodness and severity. Life and death. A blessing and a curse. And so the choice was theirs. And the choice is ours too. Um. Lost my train of thought. So, Paul said that all these things were written for our learning upon whom the ends of the world are come.
I think we could get into a lot more a lot more explanation, but I think it's obvious from all the laws we've mentioned that were in the Old Testament, like not eating catfish, that we're not under the Old Testament. We have a new and better way. And so when we get in an argument with someone about homosexuality or any sin, and they start quoting things out of the Old Testament, we, we can understand the difference, hopefully enlighten them, that we're not under the Old Testament. But even though we're not under the Old Testament, we can learn from these lessons and not make the same mistakes. Again, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, Now all these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters. Did you know that covetousness or greed, you know, worshiping money, did you know that's a form of idolatry? Do not become idolaters as some of them. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, nor let test Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor murmur, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the earth have come, the end of the ages. There's not going to be any purgatory. There's not going to be any other sacrifices other than Jesus. There's not going to be any second chances. It's here and now. The best way to get out of hell is to not go there in the first place. There's no back door out of hell. So we need to learn from the mistakes of these people. If anyone would like the prayers of the church, if you'd like to be a Christian, we have a song of invitation we'll sing.